0: supposed to bury our children. They're supposed to bury us. As so many parents like Maryfield do, they try to cope through activism. Back at her grave, he stares at a photo of his beloved Brandy. Knowing her death has to have a purpose. It's kind of helped me help others he wants to save other families from the darkness of addiction he especially hopes to reach new mexico youth i'm able to relate to some of the family and talk to them because it's hard for people to to understand you or want to even listen to especially wearing a uniform but though he may wear a badge and a uniform underneath he's a dad grieving hoping his story his daughter's short life can save someone else I don't even want to believe that this is true. It's hard to imagine what Rebecca and Robert Keesling are going through. We wanted so much for them to be able to
1: grow up together so they could have each other. I did everything that a parent is supposed to do.
0: I was the good parent. Tragically, they lost both of their sons to apparent drug overdoses on the same day. to uh, Recovering Through Highness. My name is Eric McCoy. Please listen to this podcast as, you know, this is going to be a podcast of love, forgiveness, and healing, despite the pain that you have inflicted upon yourself, or more importantly, to the families that are suffering from a loss through either a death or an unknown. We don't know where they are. I want to apologize to all those people out there that have lost loved ones as a result of drug use. And even though I can't say it's directly my fault, but I want to speak for the country. And I want to let you know that, you know, as a result of prohibition, prohibition guarantees that drugs are going to be here
2: because of the value behind them. Most of the profits involved in the drugs business actually stay here in the United States where the the consumption happens. The reason for that is that the big increase in the drugs value actually happens here. When it arrives in the States it's worth, if we talk about cocaine for instance, it's worth about $20,000 per kilo and finally when it retails it's worth more like hundred and fifty thousand dollars per kilo and the reason for that is because the guys who do that stage in the chain are the ones who face the highest risk they're the ones who take this shipment of perhaps a ton of cocaine break it down into smaller portions of just a kilo or a few hundred grams and ship it out to hundreds of contacts throughout the country. Now they're facing a big risk, they're very widely exposed, they have to deal with lots of different people and they're working in a country where the police force actually works more or less and if they get caught they're going to prison for a very very long time so because of the extra risk they face they're able to charge a premium so more than half of the profits involved in the cocaine business for instance stay here in the United States. A fair bit goes back to Latin America, and that's why people like El Chapo in Mexico are supposedly worth a billion dollars. But the real millionaires, the real drugs millionaires, are right here in the United States. People like Dr. Phil, who exploit the
0: drug users or the people with mental illness, I show up to the
1: studios and I'm sober. I'm hurting a lot and I'm shaking. My dad was there and I went and talked to him in his dressing room and I was completely sober. And then they pull me into my dressing room and there was two liters of vodka and like some Red Bulls and orange juice and stuff like that. You know, being unsupervised by my parents, I drank the entire bottle. Um, And then at some point somebody gave me a Xanax they said, this will calm your nerves. And so um, I had been drinking and took a Xanax, which I've never taken Xanax before in my life. And I know that can be a deadly combination. So why it was given to me, I don't know. Todd, Dr. Phil. Hi, I'm Todd. Next thing you know, I'm being carried onto the stage because I can barely walk. How drunk do you think you are right now? And an entire bottle of vodka. Keep going. Point two six three. What's gonna happen to you if you keep drinking like you're drinking? I'm gonna die. And my dad was furious because he had just seen me sober like an hour and a half before. Do you know what it's gonna do to your mother if she has to bury her boy? <laughs> of course I do. Why are you doing this to yourself? I get that it's a television show and that they want to show the pain that I'm in. However,
0: what what would have happened if I died there? You know? With the epidemic that we're facing, death is going to be a reality that we're all gonna have to continue to see. And I've experienced more death through either clients, families, or friends than I even want to attempt to count, which has created something that I really don't like to share and I don't like to say because I become numb to this reality. But I wasn't numb in the beginning to that pain that was caused as I worked really closely with a client who lost his battle within six months of leaving the program. And I hope to offer a sense of solitude and comfort to the professionals that are working in this industry, as we are sadly going to continue to watch ex-clients lose their lives that we may have worked so hard to offer hope, tools, and knowledge for them to saved their lives. Between the years of 2005 and 2009, I worked for a residential treatment program and I recall between 10 to 15 clients who lost their lives within six months of leaving the program. And I was still in school at this time. I was interning as a counselor and I genuinely cared for the first client that was on my caseload that died to an overdose of somas and alcohol not long after leaving the program. Sympathy can be our greatest enemy as we're gonna allow our feelings to become part of our therapeutic relationship. That creates an environment of feeling sorry for our client and feeling is that step that we take that's gonna destroy us in this industry. And it's gonna put us in danger of burnout or even something worse. You know, I learned many years ago that empathy, which is to understand someone's problems rather than feel for the client, was a more effective method. Although sympathy can also have its downfall too. The sorrow that a clinician experiences is never going to come close to the pain that family or friends are going to feel. But I wanted to make note that this industry is not always easy for those of us who truly care and want the best for our clients. I hope to educate, offer a sense of peace to you who are controlled by the actions of someone who is draining the life from you. There are millions of families who have lost children to an overdose and even a larger number dealing with fear every day that they're gonna get a call from the morgue with the news that no family ever wants to hear. You know, it's easy to feel lost in this world with a lot of questions and no answers. I, just like you, I don't have all the answers. But what I do have is some knowledge that I hope to offer based on years of experience. I too have lost family and friends as nobody is gonna be immune to this. Using 2016 statistics, it's estimated that over 20 million Americans have a substance use disorder that's related to alcohol or illicit drug use. Of that number, it's estimated that 2.1 million of those have an opioid disorder that has become the most concerning due to overdoses. The 2016 statistics, which are a little bit old, is a lot lower than what it is today. And some are going to live and some are going to die, which sadly nobody can do anything about because the decision is solely on the person who has no desire to change and a lot of times doesn't care. The one that doesn't care has lost control of his or her life, but appears to have full control over the lives of his or her family. And that does not seem very fair. Unconditional love. Now, this is a term that's used so often to justify those who are going to do anything to save the lives of loved ones who enter treatment a lot of different times, only to continue using after short periods of sobriety. To save a life is an expression that applies to an immediate physical response to an emergency that has eminent danger and not something that applies to choices that are being made over time that are completely out of our control. You know, it's may seem like love has a lot of times helped assist in the progression of a more serious nature that's led to the death of thousands of loved ones. And so I want to begin with this. It's going to be very difficult to determine how serious someone is about getting help, because the decision to enter treatment can be very skewed by lack of money, being tired, employment problems, relationship problems, or health problems that when resolved will change that decision to stay clean and sober, and they're going to return to that previous lifestyle. And what is that lifestyle of getting high? Many children and young adults are going to learn very early on the person or persons they can use to manipulate as they use love as the tool to save them from negative consequences. Now, I want everybody to hear this. Drug and alcohol abusers are not stupid people. They can be great actors as they'll shed tears of sadness for a tank of gas, and then they'll leave the room with the laughter as they hand their dealer the money for a bag of dope. Now, we all got to Remember that when we're dealing with those who are using, they're not themselves. They are lost in a world where nothing matters but that drug. And even though you may have unconditional love for your family member, love isn't in the equation for that person whom we love and we want to save. They're not requesting your love in most cases but instead are encouraging material things to be given because of your love. Many are going to fear that if we do nothing to help, then the person is going to die. Now, I've spoken to a lot of families over the years, and I've encouraged their assistance when it's their loved ones first, and even at times, their second attempt to get clean or sober. I also encourage the family member to make it very clear that this is the only time that they're going to help. And if they decide to leave or to relapse in the future, that they will be on their own and no more help is going to be given. If you offer help and they refuse to take advantage of it, they may die. If you continue to help as they have less incentive to change, because we can do this again later, it will increase the chances of relapse, and they may die. Recidivism is highly dangerous, and many are going to die as a tolerance returns to normal after being clean for a while and then returning to use as they're going to consume the same amount that was used when their tolerance was high. Your family member needs to know And must believe that he or she is never going to receive help again if that person decides to delve back into their old behaviors. Or else he or she will use that as an excuse, putting their lives in danger. Unconditional love doesn't mean that you need to do anything except love. Love, as I've defined, is an action, as it can be doing something or maybe doing nothing for that person. You know, Al-Anon teaches about detachment, which is to let go of our obsession with another's behavior and begin to lead happier and a more manageable life. Now, this isn't about detaching your love for that person, but it's also about loving yourself and learning to be happy with the absence of this individual. Many parents are going to define themselves by the roles they play as a mother or as a father, which makes this task even more difficult since their very existence is based on that purpose. Dysfunctional families, as theorists of psychology have defined, are a result of needs that are not being met, and a violation of boundaries that create unnatural roles to allow the family unit to function as well as possible with the dysfunction that is created. Parents typically parent the way that they were parented, which is why in most cases, I don't blame parents for much of the dysfunction. Unless we're talking about very severe boundary violations or physical abuse, sexual abuse, or substance abuse, but parents usually do the best they can with the information that they have, which isn't always healthy. The cycle of violence or dysfunction does need to be broken at some point. You know, a healthy, functional family is created with healthy communication, and it allows your child to make mistakes so he or she can learn from them, having them Independence and a sense of autonomy as they have fun together, not withholding love as a form of punishment. Now, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. According to those ideas that can help create a healthy family, it's important to separate yourself from your child and become autonomous. Have fun, learn from your mistakes and not withhold a love for yourself, as many are gonna blame themselves for the actions of another. Now, if you're listening to this and you are a parent, I'm going to assume that you care deeply for your son or your daughter, and therefore, you did a good job. And, And you can be proud of the effort that you've put forth. This is the time in your life where you define what you do have control over and focus on that. You can wonder how you can be happy and have fun while the person that you feel you love the most is suffering on the streets or possibly dead. And this is a difficult question to answer, but I'm going to attempt an answer. Someone currently using and being absent from the family can be very similar to burying a child with one exception, and that exception is hope. Parents will many times hold on to hope when they have not received the news that their child died, which can make that process of detachment much more difficult because he's fine. She'll be at home once she runs out of money. This is a phase. Hopefully, he or she does make it back. But during this hoping phase, this is a good time to start to learn to love yourself. It's highly recommended that you get support through a self-help program like Al-Anon. Meet with a therapist and learn to heal from your grief and your loss that may be negatively affecting your day-to-day life. How is healthy love expressed? It starts by loving yourself. So an acronym I created in my book was BLAME ME, which is because love and martyrdom equals my eternity. You're not at fault. Stop believing that you have control over another person's choices and results that derive from those choices. So in a sense this is what is known as a god complex when an individual believes that he or she has a godlike ability you didn't decide this and there you, therefore you shouldn't suffer for the decisions that are made by another person allow yourself the opportunity to feel angry because when you forgive too quickly identify all those things that you could have done differently or feel sorry for your child, you'll begin to blame yourself. This isn't your fault. And I'm going to switch, and I did this in my book, the Al-Anon's three C's around, that they teach when the ill individual is casting blame on you. They state that you didn't cause it, you can't cure it, and you can't control it, but I'm somebody that always focuses on positive statements, then you did cause the suffering within yourself. If you blame yourself, you can cure yourself and you can control yourself. When I was a sophomore in high school, a boy I knew had driven off an overpass and was killed instantly after he had been drinking. Now, I learned many years later that this had literally destroyed his parents, and it resulted in a divorce, they lost their jobs, and financial ruin, and I believe they lost their house. This wasn't fair to them, but the outcome, such as what I basically just said happened, is their fault, because they allowed their loss to control them and ruin the things that they did have. Self-blame will usually cause the framework for the results that the family endured and unfortunately it could have been prevented. Parents will blame each other. They will blame themselves and sometimes they'll even blame some of their other children if they weren't an only child. Many parents will not take responsibility for the success of their children. Many parents will be proud of their accomplishments, but not credit themselves for the efforts and hard work that their children put into things. So why are you going to take responsibility for their bad choices, but not take responsibility for their success? Despite what you may feel at this moment, you deserve happiness and a life that demands joy, a self-love that allows you to separate from the external pain and internally appreciate what you do have at this moment, right here and right now. Fear can be overthrown by an appreciation that is going to ground you. And another thing that I had created in my book was this, another acronym, healing me. And healing me, can be equated with happiness equals a loving, invigorating, never ending, grateful, multifaceted exaltation. It's the strength that comes from many facets as we come together and we support each other through love and gratitude that allows us an ability to rejoice, shame, and blame is what I've seen mostly throughout the years that is gonna hold you down and it's gonna destroy your life. It's time that we stand together as there is no need to do this alone and love together. Let our voices echo, acronym of love. We got millions of individuals and families that are suffering at this moment from chemical dependency. And it's time that we take a stand. I'm asking for families who have lost children to this epidemic to remove yourselves from the shadows. Step forward with your stories. As this is going to help your healing process, but it can also help other people. We must stand together as a country, for our country, and with our country. You know, with all the separations that we see in politics, religions, beliefs, and ideas, we have one thing in common, and that's this issue at hand. We've all been affected at some point, and it's time that we stand together without judgment, without hatred, and disgust to address this. Why are we not discussing the truth behind this at funerals? Why are we so ashamed to discuss this problem with others let our voices echo parents sacrifice their time their energy and their existence to focus on another person and raise him or her to the best of their abilities and unfortunately the person that has been focused on tends to lack any appreciation and feels entitled as they nail the parents to a cross for an excruciating sacrifice i've been including poetry in my book and i wrote a poem and this you know this really works for me you know i've found writing to be extremely healing and what works for me may not work for you as we are different but the same we have feelings but we may process them differently. But it, it might be worth a try to write a poem. And in Pain, Failure, and Misery Are the Stepping Stones to Success, I wrote a poem that ends a chapter. And here is how it went. I want to tell you about my love for you, as I hurt by the choices you've made. Nothing will ever come between, you see, except to heal and find joy in me. I remember the laughter that brought us together as I can't think of a better time. The joy that I had to watch you grow brings a smile that I can't destroy. You will always be with me in my heart as a dove reminds me of you. You will live forever from the marks you made as you go upon your way. I stand for you and I tell your story because you are set free a gift to many that are suffering it's the lessons that you will gladly bring i'm happy yet sad that our time is up the door for us has been shut the window has opened to a brand new purpose but it's you who has cleared the dust i will take some time to process the loss and emptiness that will always remain I will fill the void with an untamed goal. This is to heal through your eternal soul. Thank you, put your family's name in there, for that precious gift of the time I spent with you. But teachers are designed to often lead and then set their students free. Your student, your family's name again, I love you and rejoice in you. Have you put your life aside as you were waiting for a phone call? Do you blame yourself and healing me? What does that idea mean to you? I want to thank everybody for listening and tuning into another episode of Recovering Through Highness. Let's love, let our voices echo, let's come together and let's share our stories. So everybody out there also doesn't feel so alone.
2: Thanks again.